morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, October 7th, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 to 12. The book of Deuteronomy concludes with the event we have all known has been coming, the death of Moses on Mount Nebo. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Peter Ill. Pastor Ill serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, welcome back to Sharp Iron. So good to be with you again. Pastor Ill, today we have the last chapter of Deuteronomy. So in terms of context, the entire book is in front of you to think about what should we know as we prepare to look at chapter 34 today. What you said before, Pastor Apple, was really helpful, that we've known that this is coming. All the way back uh, in Deuteronomy 1, Moses had mentioned that uh, when he and the people of Israel didn't enter the promised land the first time the Lord brought them right up to the Jordan River. Uh, It says that the Lord was angry even with Moses on account of the people of Israel and had sworn that Moses would not enter the promised land. And so all along, Moses has been uh, giving the people the law this second time. He has been reminding this new generation of the people of Israel of who the Lord their God is, what he has done, and what he has promised to do for them. kind of with that bittersweet eye of not knowing uh, of knowing that he's not going to be leading them into the promised land. He's leading them for now and someone else will finish the job. Uh, and so it's really uh, kind of a heartfelt moment when we get to the end of this portion. And like you said, the thing that we've all known is coming happens. Uh, And Moses climbs to the top of Mount Nebo. Uh, Scripture says, with his eye undimmed and his spirit unabated, and yet uh, there he dies um, at the Lord's will. Uh, And so this gives us a lot of things to think about with Moses, uh, but it also says a lot to us about uh, who is the Lord and who is coming after Moses uh, in the person of Joshua, the son of Nun, yes, but also in the person of Jesus Christ, the one that Moses had prophesied about before, who would be the one uh, who would become in the pattern like Moses. So there's, well, the events of this text are pretty simple. The importance of this text is, uh, is pretty profound. Let's go ahead and take a look at it then. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 34, beginning at verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. 
I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That's our text for today. That's Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 to 12. One one question, Pastor Ale, before we think in detail about these verses is we've been talking about the book of Deuteronomy and I've continued to say, you know, Moses wrote or Moses said, here we're dealing with a text that is about Moses's death. So it would seem unlikely that he himself wrote it. Who, who do we know who wrote this chapter of Deuteronomy? We don't know for sure. Tradition says that this is something that was penned uh, or appended by Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, after the death of Moses, uh, kind of in the keeping and tradition of uh, that he probably also wrote uh, the book of Joshua about himself, with the exception of the part where Joshua dies. Um, hmm. So probably Joshua uh, but we're not exactly sure. We are sure that this is still uh, the infallible, inerrant word of God. Uh, and there's there's no question there, um, especially with as much uh, connection as it makes to other places in the book of Deuteronomy and other places uh, in scripture that uh, it is carrying the same message of God's work with the people of Israel uh, and that that prophecy of one to come who is greater than Moses. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the text. Moses has been on the plains of Moab. That's where he's been preaching the book of Deuteronomy. And now he ascends Mount Nebo opposite Jericho. Give us some, some geographical information. What What is Mount Nebo? Where is it? Give us some of that. So Mount Nebo is... Uh, we, I'm just a flatland Midwesterner, so I think of it as a mountain. <laughs> uh, other people are going to hear this and think, "Man, that's it's barely something worthy to be called a mountain," and that's that's fair. Uh, Mount Nebo is about 2,300 feet above sea level uh, there on the bluffs of the Jordan River, and it's kind of a ridge line uh, along the bank of the Jordan. Um, and from that location. Uh, Travelers today say that you can see the the valley there, and you can see the city of Jericho. And on a very clear day, you can look out and see uh, the city of Jerusalem uh, in its modern form, Uh, which kind of leads to a question of what did Moses see from the top of Mount Nebo? And what of what Moses saw was... Uh, was literally looking out with his eyes and having a nice uh, mountaintop view. And how much of this was a vision given him by the Lord to remind and show him that the Lord was keeping his promise to the people of Israel. Uh, And so geographically, thinking about what you can stand on top of modern day Mount Nebo and see uh, throughout the area, 
the account of seeing uh, Gilead and Dan and Naphtali, all of Judah, the Western Sea and everything else that is described there. Well, people who stand in, in the same place today don't see quite the same thing. And so I'm led to, to kind of speculate that this is probably a vision from God to show the fullness of God's fulfillment. Uh, Moses could see part of the promised land with his normal vision, but to see all of it, the way it's described here in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, shows a, a vision from God that God is showing and revealing to Moses the extent of which he is uh, laying out this whole area for his people, just like he promised. And so it's not... Uh, Moses isn't limited to a, a good mountaintop view, but instead gets a view of the unfolding of God's plan and God's work for his people. Mm. So just to, to make sure that I'm, I'm understanding here, when the description is given in at the end of verse one and following of all these various places that he sees to and from, what, what is being described there, that is the totality of the promised land, right? Right. So you have Gilead and Dan up to the north and kind of the uh, the north-northwest of Mount Nebo. Uh, you look down to the land of Judah, where Jerusalem is, that would be off more to the southwest. Um, and you have the city of Jericho to uh, directly west. You also then would have the Western Sea. And if the Western Sea is the Mediterranean, uh, that obviously lays off even further to the West. Uh, there's some who say the Western Sea might be the Dead Sea, um, which would be kind of to the uh, south-southwest of Mount Nebo. Uh, but regardless, the span of that would be would be hundreds of miles, more than you would usually get from a place of that elevation. So Moses sees all of it. And, and as you said, perhaps, you know, we're talking here about a vision that God gives him because it is more than you would be able to see from your normal mountaintop view from Mount Nebo. Why, why is this important, though, that, that the Lord shows all of this to Moses? It, it's really a reminder of who the Lord is. The Lord is the one who made a promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Lord made a promise to Joseph, and the Lord is keeping his promise now. Uh, for Moses to see all of the places that God's people will live, uh, this is a, a point in the prophecy where God says, see, as I'm showing this to you, I am being faithful to my people. This is the land that they are about to go take here real soon. This is the land that I am about to give them in the very near future. This is the fulfillment of my prophecy. And so, Moses, and we can even say so, Christian, today, hear and know this. The Lord keeps his promise, and as the Lord brings you uh, nearer and nearer to the ultimate completion of all of his prophecies that are still to be fulfilled, uh, the Lord is one who keeps his promises, who lays it out before you and says, See, here I am keeping my promises. Keep the faith. Continue believing in me because I have a real promise with a real fulfillment and real hope for you uh, today and tomorrow and every day as you get closer and closer to those promises being filled. Hmm. 
So in terms of the keeping of the promises, there's certainly the promise that is kept to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is a, you know, this is a positive thing that the Lord says. This is the land. Here, I, I told you I was going to give it to you, your offspring, and I'm doing it. But then you know, the last words that Moses hears from the Lord, at least that are recorded for us here, he says, I let you see it, Moses, but you you don't get to go there. And then that's the last thing you hear from the Lord in the book of Deuteronomy. That, that seems like a really mean way for the Lord to let Moses go out, Peter. Yeah, it's kind of a downer, isn't it? Um, But all through Moses' ministry with the people of Israel, it's been a, there's been a lot of ups and downs. And there have been uh, places in this conversation between God and Moses, along with the conversation between Moses and the people of Israel, where there have been a lot of ups and downs, where Moses has heard the Lord's hopeful promises and commands, but where he's also heard the Lord's judgments when the Lord has even been been angry with Moses because Moses didn't do what the Lord told him to do. Uh, And as those things come out, uh, it's a reminder that the Lord doesn't uh, put an end to the consequences that he has laid out before us. Instead, the Lord remains perfectly righteous, perfectly just, perfectly good, doing all of the things that he does. And so even as the Lord keeps his promise of not letting Moses into the promised land, uh, he does, the Lord doesn't have to show Moses all of the promised land. Mm. The Lord does this to show, see, I'm keeping my promises. The promise that I made to you, Moses, that you would bring the people to the promised land and the promise that I made to them. But I did tell you, you wouldn't go in. And so here you are, see this, no, believe, but you still won't go in. Uh, The Lord uh, doesn't change his mind. The Lord doesn't go back on his word. The Lord does remain faithful to his promise that he'd already given to Moses. So, I mean, this seems a little, maybe it seems counterintuitive, but it is It is true when we see the Lord carry out a, a threat, maybe not quite the right word, but when he carries out his judgment that he has explained and given according to his word, when he does that, there should be comfort to us in knowing that the Lord's word remains true. Even if it's a word that we didn't like to hear, he does keep it. And so there's, I mean, I suppose in that sense, it serves as a warning. And we, we've talked about that. Moses has received the warning already. Here at the end, although it strikes us as, well, that's not the nicest thing that God could have told Moses at the end. It still does serve as a reminder that God keeps his promises. And, and in that larger reminder, there is comfort, perhaps for Moses, but especially for us as Christians. Right. Uh, and there's coming up at the very end of these verses, in verses uh, 10, 11, and 12, uh, there's going to be some very kind words uh, about Moses, sure. who was, uh, who God spoke to as a man would speak to his friend, for example. Yeah. Uh, the Lord continues to be faithful to Moses and to do for him things that the Lord's not obligated to do. Nobody's telling the Lord, you have to treat Moses right, otherwise we'll be mad at you. I mean, God wouldn't listen to that anyway. Instead, uh, the Lord says, out of his mercy and out of his grace, he takes uh, Moses about to die to the top of a mountain to say, see, I'm doing what I said I would do. Yeah, you'll die. but." As you die, you will see the goodness that I have am working and will continue to work uh, for for these people of mine. Uh, 
that from, you know, on and on again, Moses, you've called them your people, but really they're my people and I will continue to care for them going forward. Right. We, we've also seen in previous chapters of Deuteronomy, when the Lord has told Moses, you know, you are going to die, that the Lord d- will say things like, Moses, you'll be gathered to your people or gathered to your fathers. Some of these these ways of speaking about death, that is a reminder that even in death, the Lord is faithful to take his people to himself. And so, yes, Moses is going to die as the Lord has spoken because of the rebellion that Moses had against the Lord as a part of that generation. But that does not mean that Moses is kept from that final promised land of eternity and the resurrection of all flesh. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that when we make some New Testament connections, but that's, I think, just a helpful reminder at this point that even as it seems perhaps these last words of the Lord to Moses are harsh, none of that changes the promises that Moses has believed from the Lord concerning matters of eternity. And these last words of the Lord to Moses don't change that. We should, Moses took comfort in the promise of the Lord, and so should we. Right, exactly. Uh, Moses does not stand here condemned. Uh, He stands here, yes, about to die, but he is still within God's people. He is a believer, a person of faith. Um, Later, it's going to say that he is um, the greatest of the prophets and there hasn't been a greater prophet since him uh, as of as of when this was written. Uh, Moses has a prominent place among God's people. And, and in general, I think we can say that among Christians today, we might not emphasize Moses enough as a leader of God's people. Mm-hmm. If you were to ask people today, who's, uh, who are some of the most important people of the Old Testament? Uh, you might get Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, you would probably get David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But I think that a lot of Christians today might jump over Moses. But here in Deuteronomy 34, Moses is held up as the greatest of the prophets to this day um, and a, a leader among God's people, a prophecy of the even greater prophet who is to come. And there's, there's not a place in Scripture where David or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel are, are kind of uh, linked in with this promise that they might be the greater one to come. Uh, they're all great prophets indeed, and they powerfully spoke the word of the Lord. But Moses in the Old Testament kind of has prominence of place that we mm-hmm. sometimes forget. Uh, and I, I guess this is just a, a little bit of a reminder that don't, don't forget about Moses. The Lord used him in wonderful ways to speak his word. And and in a lot of ways, the Lord has given Moses um, a certain prominence of place in the Old Testament that is that is rightly uh, fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself. But but I'm already ahead of myself a little bit. <laughs> That's okay. No, I, I think you're right. It's it's hard to overstate the importance of Moses. And and a text like Deuteronomy 34 certainly confirms that. There There might be a tendency among us, Christians particularly, to forget about the prominence of Moses. But I, I know that just reading through the book of Deuteronomy has certainly helped me appreciate him. I know I said recently that you know, coming now to, to Deuteronomy 34, I've, I've enjoyed getting to know Moses through the book of Deuteronomy, which is maybe uh, something that I don't know that I would have said at the very beginning, because Deuteronomy, as, as we've seen, is 
pretty much Moses preaching. I asked Professor Harstad at the beginning of this series, you know, what what happens in the book of Deuteronomy? And essentially there's two things. Moses preaches and Moses dies. So we're finally coming to the second thing that happens in the book of Deuteronomy, which is Moses' death. And it's like, wow, you know, what what are we going to get from a book like that? Yet there's so much. I mean, the the preaching of Moses here has just been fantastic. And and the text here at the end really does serve to confirm the importance of Moses within God's plan of salvation and, and what he does for the people of God. It, it is hard to overstate Moses. And and we do well as Christians to to get to know him through the scriptures and to appreciate the way God has worked through him. And, and certainly a text like this helps us to to see that. So go ahead. Go ahead. There's there's a number of times when people will start to read through the Bible and they'll start with Genesis and they, you know you got creation you got Noah you've got Abraham there's there's stuff happening and you get to Exodus and God's leading his people out of the land of Egypt uh, and then they get to Leviticus and and a lot of people who start reading the Bible kind of slow down in Leviticus and I think I think we lose a lot of them there uh, as they're trying to to read all the way through starting at the beginning working to the end. Uh, and, and the ones that make it through Leviticus sometimes get to Deuteronomy and they say, oh, it feels like I've read this all before. But, but it's a reminder that the people who are hearing this sermon from Moses are a new generation. These are the people who, uh, weren't there when the Lord brought the people out of Egypt. Uh, Moses is reminding them about the Lord's faithfulness and what the Lord will continue to do for them as they are the new generation of faith, uh, bringing them in. And for for every Christian who might struggle with Leviticus or Deuteronomy, uh, because there's a lot there, uh, don't lose heart. Because you, dear Christian, are part of this new generation of faith yeah. being brought to the bigger, better promised land of, of the resurrection. And so keep the faith. Remain in the faith. When people come and people go, when people die, and you start to wonder who will, who will lead the people of God, in the middle of that context, here comes Moses uh, Preaching, yes, even dying, but this new generation of faith will go on, and that is the Lord's steadfast, immovable promise. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's one of the reasons I really appreciated the book of Deuteronomy is because of that emphasis on, you know, this is not just for you, it's for your children as well, and you see the inclusion of the full people of God. I mean, it's it's in the other books of Moses as well, but it really comes through strongly in the the book of Deuteronomy. So, such that here, as Moses dies, it's not a, a sense of hopelessness or despair, but you know that God has been faithful to His people in the past, and He will continue to be faithful to His people in the future, even after Moses has died. So let's let's get to that main event, Pastor Ill. In verse five, Moses dies. Tell us a little bit about Moses's death. It, it, Scripture actually says very little about Moses' death, other than the fact that he died. Uh, there's no uh, famous uh, recording of last words. There's uh, not any image of of what exactly was going on. Maybe the Lord and Moses continued to speak. Maybe they didn't. Uh, it's very briefly put that Moses dies. What's more interesting about these words is that the Lord himself buries Moses uh, in the valley in the land of Moab, they're opposite Beth Peor. But 
Other than God, nobody knows the place of his burial. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, this is the only person that God buries uh, in all of Scripture. Uh, this is the only person where the Lord is the only one who knows his burial place. Uh, the one other slightly related instance is when the Lord uh, assumes the prophet Elijah into heaven in a whirlwind, uh, and Elijah is just pulled up from earth after seeing the uh, the horses and chariots of fire. Uh, he's lifted up into heaven in a whirlwind, but it doesn't say that Elijah died. Uh, it does clearly say that Moses died. And so there's no room for us to speculate that Moses was also assumed into heaven. But Moses did die. The Lord buried him. Uh, and and that leads to lots of interesting questions about why would the Lord bury him? Is it to prevent some kind of, of holy honorific site where the people would uh, start to, to maybe practice idolatry around the grave of Moses? And the Lord didn't want that. And so the Lord uh, kept this a an unmarked grave to the people. Uh, that's a wonderful speculation, but we don't know for sure about why God did this, but we do know the Lord treated Moses' death and burial in a way that he didn't treat anybody else's. That's right. Yeah, he does something unique. The only other name that that comes to mind when you were, you mis mentioned Elijah, there's one, and this is probably even more mysterious than either Moses or Elijah, but oh, I, I believe- Oh boy, we're going to talk about Enoch. Well, just to mention yeah, him, is good. It, that's in Genesis chapter five, and then he shows up in in Hebrews chapter eleven as the one. You, maybe you you've looked at it more, but this is the one he he just took him, and then he was no more. Yeah, he walked with God and was no more. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know what else to do with that other than just to mention there's another one whom the Lord does something different with at the end of the of of his life, kind of like Moses and Elijah, and I think Enoch is probably the most mysterious of the three. Right. Um, and there is a an kind of an odd strain of uh, of literature that's outside of the Bible uh, that mm. has to do with Moses' death. Uh, hey, let's let's, let's take let's that, hold Pastor that off. Bill. Okay, yeah, let's 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 leave a cliffhanger yeah. there. Let's let's talk about some odd literature outside of the Bible dealing with Moses' death on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. We're talking about Deuteronomy. 34 with Pastor Peter Ill. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, October 7th. We're studying Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 to 12 with Pastor Peter Ill. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, prior to the break, we left with a cliffhanger of a question. You were bringing up odd literature outside of the Bible dealing with the death of Moses. What are you talking about? Right. So there are several passages written um, outside of the Bible that describe what happened after Moses died. Uh, One of them was found in the caves at Qumran in the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, and it's called the Assumption of Moses, uh, like Moses was assumed into heaven. And so there uh, are apparently some pious Jews who believed that Moses didn't die but was taken into heaven. The complication with this this document, The Assumption of Moses, is it only appears in fragments. We don't have a full copy. So we have bits and pieces of the story, but we don't even have the full story to put together. Um, there's also uh, a verse in Jude 9, which is in the Bible, that talks about uh, the archangel Michael contending over the body of Moses and talking about how he didn't give a blasphemous oath, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. But it doesn't say who Michael was talking to. It's really, uh, it's, it's really obscure in its own right. And so when you get to uh, that assumption of Moses document, and there's a couple of other pieces written uh, in the first several centuries after Jesus' ascension into heaven that also reference the assumption of Moses into heaven. And they're just kind of strange. Uh, and I think it's really helpful for us to say, here we take the clear word of God in Deuteronomy 34 really clearly. Moses died. The Lord buried him. Uh, the Lord kept his promises to him. We don't need to go chasing down necessarily all of the the kind of strange rabbit trails of extra biblical literature to see what really happened. We have as much of the story as God wants us to have and as God needs us to have. Moses, a leader among God's people, a servant of the Lord, did the work of the Lord. He died. Uh, he was received to his people and he was received to his Lord. He was buried. And we have uh, New Testament portrayals that Moses continues to come and be with the Lord. We'll see that in the transfiguration uh, in a little bit. But Moses has a prominent place in God's mercy and in God's grace. And we don't necessarily need to run down all of these rabbit trails, But I I think it's helpful to bring it up just in case somebody would say, wow, that whole Moses dying and being buried by God thing sounds kind of cool. I'm going to type that into into my favorite search engine and see what's out there. Uh, Dear Christian friends, be really careful about that, especially with the death of Moses, because there is some really strange stuff out there. Don't let it throw you off that the Lord has been faithful to Moses and we have clear scriptural words about the death and burial of Moses, and we don't need to go too far afield to get the rest of the story. God's not hiding anything from us. That's right. That's right. That's that's well said. So I appreciate you bringing out that odd literature, but also the word of caution. Make sure we stick with what God's word gives us, the very clear word that Moses died the Lord buried him. No one knows where. And then we, we find out details that we, you know, we've known some of this already. Moses was 120 years old when he died. This is a wonderful description. You, you mentioned this previously. His eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated. That 
it sounds like in some he feels better than I do some days as a 37 year old. It, right. I mean, I, I have my my Coke bottle lens glasses on today. Um, my eyes are <laughs> dimmed. Uh, but but I, it's an interesting portrayal uh, that here's Moses at what we think of as an old age. But compared to other people in the Old Testament, Moses is not is not as old, say, as uh, Isaac or Jacob when they died. They were in their 200s. Moses still has a long life, but not as long as theirs. Uh, But he's still, you know, undimmed and, excuse me, unabated. And in the middle of that, the Lord still says, it's time. The Lord takes him to Mount Nebo, and there the Lord allows him to die. Uh, at this time. And it's a reminder that uh, every day that we have from the Lord, a day of life, even the day of our death, is a day set in place and in time by the Lord our God. If you are undimmed and unabated, or if your eyes are dim, and if your strength has abated, uh, no matter the case, it is the Lord who is the master of your days just as he was the master of Moses' days. And he is the one who makes those important decisions of life and death. Hmm. Well, let, let's talk about this, the matter of death then, because that's what you know we're talking about. The, the weeping over Moses, just the fact that he dies, the mourning. What, what is this teaching us about death and the Christian approach to death? Uh, I think that sometimes uh, when we think about death, uh, particularly in the church today, we have this this idea that uh, death is good. Uh, sometimes people will will come up to me and they'll say, you know, so and so, a family member, a friend died, and and you know, you know, pastor, it's for the better. Um, and I know what I know what they're trying to say, but there's still part of me that kind of bites my lip and kind of does an inner shiver uh, because I the Bible describes death as bad. Even Moses' death is bad, and Moses grie- Moses is grieved when he dies uh, by the people that he had been serving. Uh, there's definitely a time and a place for grief. And in the church, even when we recognize that someone has died in faith, and they are in the peace of Jesus, in paradise, waiting for the day of resurrection, which is far better, we still say, yeah, that doesn't make death good. Death is still the enemy. And so Moses was a sinner saint, or is a sinner saint, more properly. Uh, There were consequences of his sin that led to his death. That's bad. Moses' death is grievous, just like anybody else's death is grievous. The Lord undoes death, and that is a wonderful thing. But that doesn't take away grief. That doesn't undo the sadness and the the struggles and the heartache of the grief that we face. Uh, and so it's not that I'm trying to uh, to just be a fussy, picky pastor, uh, even though that is kind of my stock and trade, uh, but to say, don't forget to grieve. Don't be so quick to say, uh, well, they're with Jesus, so so it's really a win, right? Yes, they're with Jesus, and that is that's better than any of us could ask for. But that doesn't mean that death is good. Hmm. That's right, and I mean that's you know there's sort of this. 
I don't know what the right, ambiguous isn't quite the right word, because as you said, death is the enemy. We want death to be undone, and that's what Christ has done. And yet in Christ, we know that death has been undone. And so the Lord still works good for us and takes us to himself through death. And certainly we have that hope for Moses here, even in the midst of the mourning that happens. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the mourning and the grieving process that that's described here. I I can talk about it a little bit. Uh, scripture says that the people uh, wept there on the plains of Moab for 30 days. Um, and for for us as American Christians, especially, uh, that seems like a really long time. Uh, you know, as we record this here in, in the fall of 2022, uh, we see... Uh, Christians and people in Great Britain grieving the death of Queen Elizabeth. They they threw weeks of mourning for her. And and I've I've had some Americans say to me, wow, they're going on kind of a long time, don't you think? You know, uh, but for Moses, they they grieve for 30 days. Uh, death is bad, but they have this way of of continuing to to grieve and to see the work that God has done through Moses and to look forward to the work that God is going to do by giving kind of a, a breathing space and a grieving space. Uh, I don't know how much of that was filled with, uh, with ceremony or pomp or, or anything like that, but they had a, a collective pausing and weeping uh, much like they did in the days of Joseph. Uh, even back in Egypt, uh, they took days and, and grieved his death as well. Uh, I guess, I guess in part we could think about the way that we grieve as a community. Uh, mm. While death is is one of the most personal things that can happen to a person, um, apart from Jesus, nobody else can die for you. Even when people are with you at your deathbed, they they're with you, but but they're not going through what you're going through. Uh, but still the people of Israel take their time, their 30 days to grieve. And they do it not just as a whole bunch of individuals together, but they do it as the whole people of God. This is part of why in the church today we have funerals, so that we as the whole people of God get together to say, this is what God has done through this particular servant of his. Uh, the, these are the ways that we have been blessed by God's servant so-and-so, and these are the promises that God has given to his servant so-and-so. Uh, we have a chance for communal grieving uh, and also communally receiving hope in that time. Uh, and we don't just do it individually. The people of Israel didn't say, oh, looks like Moses is gone. Where's Joshua? Okay, Joshua, lead the way. Let's go. Uh, no, they they gave it 30 days and they had that time of mourning and pausing and and being the people of God under the promises of God, but not having to go anywhere quite yet. You've mentioned throughout our conversation, you know, connections to the New Testament, and we talked a little bit about Moses and Elijah, particularly. We threw Enoch out there as mysterious, but I don't know that that we're, there's much to connect here, other than the fact there's strange circumstances around the end of their life. But with Moses and Elijah, there's some significant New Testament connections that we can make, particularly with the Mount of Transfiguration. How how does this text play into that? So. Uh, as I said before, Moses is 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 one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, and and Scripture kind of gives the answer through the Gospels that if you were going to pick two of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, the two the 
the two ultimate guys would be uh, Moses and Elijah. Uh, both Moses and Elijah coincidentally had some mountaintop, literally, experiences where Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai uh, and where Elijah went to Mount Carmel for the showdown of the gods. Uh, and these sinner saints uh, proclaimed the Lord's work and proclaimed the Lord's law uh, even on those mountaintops. And then they meet with Jesus and his three disciples, Peter and James and John, excuse me, on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, Luke tells us that Luke even gives us a glimpse into what they are talking about, because Luke says that they were talking about Jesus' departure, or the Greek word that gets used there is exodus, his way out. Uh, they're talking with Jesus about his death for Moses, who died and the Lord buried, for Elijah, who was assumed into heaven. They start talking with Jesus about Jesus' own death. Uh very fitting as Jesus is going to go down from the mountain, set his uh, face toward Jerusalem, and prepare for the suffering and death in his crucifixion. Uh, Jesus has come to do what Moses and Elijah could not do. And as he does just that, he is shown to be the fulfillment of uh, of the work that the Lord had called Elijah and Moses to, but neither of them were perfect. Neither of them could suffer and die and rise for the people of God. That's the work of Jesus alone. But it, we do see that Moses and Elijah are, are foreshadowings, uh, types of Jesus who come before him to show the work that he is going to do in the fullness of his incarnation. Mm. Let's let's keep talking about the the way the text concludes. Then we've got the the death of Moses, the weeping and mourning. Then Joshua is mentioned again, and and then you know that the Lord the the Lord's people obeyed Joshua. They followed him. They listened to him like like Moses. But then you get these wonderful words about Moses toward the end. How does how does this text conclude? So as this text concludes, uh, it you know it starts out by saying that uh, Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. Moses had laid his hands on him, uh, and the, so the people obeyed him. Uh, but then it takes the focus right back off of Joshua almost as quickly as it got put on him, and goes back to be kind of a kind of an epilogue. Um, you might even look at this as the best example of Christian eulogy of good words about Moses. Uh, I suppose. Uh, it says that there has not arisen a prophet in, uh, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, reminding us that the Lord even showed his presence to Moses so that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, uh, the people said, Moses, your face is glowing. Cover it up. Uh, but the book of Hebrews makes clear they didn't say, Moses, cover your face because they were creeped out by it glowing which I think I would have been creeped out by. But instead, we're afraid that that you're going to stop being transformed and that your face is going to stop glowing, and we don't want to see that. It'll make us sad, so cover your face. So that's exactly what Moses does. He covers his face, but when he goes into the tent of meeting, he takes the veil off and he continues to speak to the Lord. Uh, he does signs and wonders in Egypt, uh, and in the wilderness that nobody else in the Old Testament does. The miracles that he works, be them the ten plagues or 
the water from the rock or raising up the bronze serpent in the wilderness. Nobody else does things that Moses does. Uh, and nobody is like him uh, doing the miracles that he does as he leads God's people. And, and this sets Moses up as being kind of unparalleled in the history of the people of Israel. Uh, now, we said before that these, these words of Deuteronomy 34 were probably written by Joshua. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, so, well, it hasn't happened yet that somebody has come like Moses. And you might say, well, you know, not a whole lot of time has gone by here. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe he spoke too soon. Um, <laughs> You're jumping the gun, Joshua. <laughs> but nobody occurs between the times of Moses and the times of Jesus who does the things that Moses has done. And when Jesus starts to say, uh, say in John 3, that he is the one who needs to be lifted up, and he makes that parallel to uh, the Son of Man needs to be lifted up like uh, like Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness. Uh, he's showing that he is the one who has come to to finish that work of Moses, to be the fulfillment of the living, breathing prophecies that Moses was performing and laying down here in the book of uh, Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And so we see this as the Lord knowing him face to face. Uh, He is the one who uh, multiple times goes to the Lord when the Lord is angry with his people. And he says, you know what, Moses, I'm going to, I'm going to wipe them out because they're driving me nuts. And Moses says, wait, no, they're your people. Keep your promise to your people. Uh, and so the fact that, that Moses who intercedes and begs for God to keep his promises to the Lord's people, uh, sees the fulfillment of that promise, uh, is a wonderful connection for us. And then uh, it goes on to say, the one who is greater than Moses, as Moses himself prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, that's going to come to pass still. And Jesus Christ is the one who would come, uh, who would be greater than Moses. He is among his people. He is with you and me. In our days of grief, in our days of struggle, even in our days of death, the Lord our God has undone death, and the Lord our God is the one who continues to be present with us, giving us strength for each day, uh, keeping his promises most fully and most directly in his death and resurrection that he delivers again to us in the waters of baptism and in the preaching of the word, even as we receive his coming in his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. Uh, In these ways, Jesus says, I was faithful to Moses and you, Christian today. I'm faithful to you too. I never gave up on Moses and I will never give up on you. Hmm. One thing we're talking about seeing the Lord face to face. I think, you know, thinking about Moses being the one here who's, who's held up in high regard because of that. And really, as you pointed out, you know, no other prophet attains this sort of level. I don't know, it's quite not not quite the right way of saying it, but no other prophet is held in quite this regard in doing these kinds of things. You know, it does, it strikes me that elsewhere in the Old Testament, particularly in a prophet like Isaiah, we will hear how the Lord's going to do something even greater than the Exodus after the exile. And, and, you know, he brings his people back from exile, 
but it never really has that same earthly glory that the Exodus did. You know, I mean, this, the idea of drowning the Pharaoh and all of his hosts in the Red Sea, that's pretty incredible. The return from exile, while certainly fulfilling the, the prophecy spoken by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others, it just never looks as as important. And you're always kind of left, man, there's there's got to be something more. <laughs> I think that's the point. And, and to see Jesus then talking about his own exodus on the Mount of Transfiguration, I think that's where that all comes together. And then, and this is also where my mind was going with the idea of seeing face to face, that, you know, nobody, nobody else gets that ascribed to them. You know, Moses is, is held in high regard because of it. And yet, because God has become a man in Jesus Christ, we do. Like the the disciples saw him face to face. Blessed are your eyes that see what so many long to see, and 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 you and I, we, I mean, you know, no one has ever seen God. John says, but but we have seen the the one and only, the only begotten. I mean, just I don't know the 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 way that these promises come to fulfillment in Christ, and then the way that we receive them, such that like even though I mean, I would never count myself as a preacher like Moses or as important as Moses by any means, and yet. In knowing Christ, I I see God face to face. I don't know. There's there's something there. I think there is. Uh, when when we get the description, maybe you can tie it all together for me, Pastor El. Well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> when we see uh, Moses in the presence of God, uh, the Lord blows a trumpet and goes before uh, Moses, and he declares, "The Lord, the Lord." But even then, he has. Uh, closeted away Moses in a rock and will only let Moses see the hind parts of his presence. Uh, We actually get to see something that Moses himself did see, uh, but later, because Moses stood once again in the presence of God, not in a cleft on the rock on Mount Sinai, but on the Mount of Transfiguration, talking with Jesus about Jesus's exodus. Uh, Moses saw Jesus face to face again. And so the one who had talked with the Lord like a man talks to his friend, the one who had seen God face to face now looked into the face of Jesus and spoke with him again. Uh, you and I and Christians today have a blessing of, of looking to not just the promise yet to be fulfilled, like the people there uh, outside of Moab on the other side of Jericho. No, we get to see the fullness of our Lord Jesus Christ and the works that he does for us, the way that he comes to us bringing his grace today. Uh, and we get to say, wow, I get to look in the rearview mirror at what God has done and is doing and will continue to do for me Uh It's not all uh, vague hope for the future. It's clear hope, clear for us in Jesus. uh, And Moses got to see that clear hope in Jesus himself, even at the Mount of Transfiguration as Jesus was preparing for his own death. and, and it is a continual reminder for us. Moses is part of the same people of faith that we are, uh, with the same Savior that we have, Thanks be to God, we have we have the clear picture of God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ, a hope that was not foreign to Moses, uh, that the Lord continues to deliver to us. We have about three minutes here, Pastor Ill. Uh, perhaps you know we've been we've been talking about how Moses is the prophet, 
put above all others in the Old Testament. And yet, as the book of Deuteronomy has reminded us in perhaps the most key passage of the whole book, one is coming like Moses from among your brothers. You must listen to him. We've identified him as Jesus. As, as we wrap this text up in the book of Deuteronomy, perhaps help us to, to see that. How, do, how does Jesus fulfill that? How is he the prophet like Moses even better to whom we must listen? Oh, what a great question. Um, there are- and You have three minutes. Okay, short, <laughs> short answer then. Um, there's a number of parallels that Jesus himself gives us that call us back to Moses. Um, one example, obviously, is Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Uh, in John 6, the, the scribes and the leaders and the Pharisees were calling Jesus saying, Moses gave us bread in the wilderness. What are you going to give us? And Jesus just said, I am the bread of life. M- Moses gave you bread and those people still died. When I give you the bread of life, you don't die. You live forever. Um, and so Jesus there says, here's the promise of Moses and I will yet do better. Um, you have, uh, similar promises, uh, in John 3, uh, like we mentioned before with uh, Jesus saying, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also will the Son of Man be lifted up. And so the the image of the punishment, the image of death is lifted up over the people so that the Lord will deliver them. Uh, he did it with a bronze serpent in Moses, and he does it even uh, in Christ on the cross. Um, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Uh, Finish this out. And so he continues to provide again and again these parallels of how the things that Moses was doing in the Exodus are fulfilled for us in Christ. And even where you see Moses brings the people there to the edge of the promised land and dies, Jesus also dies. But Jesus, unlike Moses, doesn't stay dead. Uh, Jesus doesn't stay in the grave. Instead, Jesus is raised from the dead, being the one who is greater than Moses in life, in signs and in wonders, yes, but also in his resurrection, because Jesus isn't like Moses, because Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus is God and man together, the fully incarnate God in the flesh who has come to save you and me and Moses all together. Pastor Peter Ill is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, helping us today with Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 to 12. Pastor Ill, thanks for being our guest today. God bless you and all of our listeners. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you for taking this journey through the book of Deuteronomy with us, getting to know Moses even more than that, getting to know the prophet who is like Moses, who is better than Moses, God who has become man for you, Jesus Christ. We're starting a series on Joshua next week. Please join us. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for spending the morning with us today. Talk to you again next week. 